Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey folks, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm afraid Steve Krupa won't be joining us this week, but uh, he is conducting interviews and we'll be back very shortly. So you'll just have to make do with me at least one more week. But I I come bearing gifts. I have some announcements regarding uh, some of the speakers we'll be having at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Our, uh, one of our keynote addresses or keynote conversations will be with TJ Parker, the CEO of PillPack, which of course made huge news earlier this year by being acquired by Amazon. So uh, we will have uh, TJ Parker at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on October 11th in Boston. He is uh, the one of several fantastic speakers we'll have on that day, but uh, I'll just drop that little breadcrumb here. And uh, maybe I'll let another one slip in the middle of the podcast. Today, though, we're going to uh, speak with Joel Wyshkowski, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts is providing a phone-based app for contact lens wearers. The app is used to essentially renew a prescription for those contact lens wearers who need a new supply, but know they don't need or believe they don't need a new prescription. They can use the app to uh, test their vision. They can uh, use the app's camera to essentially examine their eye. And all that data is sent to an ophthalmologist who will give the green light and say, okay, yes, here's a new prescription or a a renewed prescription. You can go get your contact lens supply or hey, you might want to get this looked at. So it's uh, it's designed, as, as many apps are, to save us time and money. Uh, not everybody likes the app or, or at least likes what it's trying to do. And uh, Joel will talk a bit about that in the podcast. But he also has a, an interesting um, funding or, or list of investors, and uh, he'll get into that as well. So I know you'll enjoy this conversation as I know you will enjoy the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on October 11th. Again, go to dhis.net to register. Now let's hear from Joel Wiskowski of Simple Contacts. Well, Joel Wiskowski, welcome to the OIS podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. So I want to learn more about your company, Simple Contacts. Uh, we're uh, an ophthalmology podcast. We, we focus on eye care. We've seen some movement in sort of home monitoring of eye care, uh, eye care or eye diseases, but really haven't seen sort of a, a, an effort like this that, that is reaching out on more of a consumer level. So tell us a bit about the origins of, uh, of Simple Contacts. Yeah, it really starts with my interaction with the U.S. healthcare system. There's a lot of things that are problematic about it. One of the pieces that's sort of enormously inefficient is the fact that there's all these routine prescription rules that require this in-person doctor's office visit. Uh, in the case of ophthalmology and contact lenses in particular, 80% of the time, you know, patients for contact lens renewals get the same exact prescription strength they came in with, same brand, same everything. Uh, but you have to pay for the doctor's office visit, the scheduled time of your day to attend the appointment, and you got to take up doctor's limited time. 
Um, and oftentimes that doctors, you know, wants to be spending their time on harder cases and treat people with actual medical problems versus consequence sitting. Um, but because of these sort of inconvenient visits and expense, patients often delay going in and end up running, wearing their lens as longer than they should or wearing them multiple times or not following, you know, adhering to the sort of prescription of, uh, that they got. And this can actually lead to serious medical complications. Um, a lot of the lens-related eye infections come from overusing consequences, sleeping in them, using the same ones over and over again, using dailies as weeklies, weeklies as monthlies, et cetera. Um, now, while we started out addressing contact lenses, the same logic applies to whole sorts of other uh, disease spaces in eye, in eye care and, and also beyond and things like birth control, asthma, acne, and many others. Um, and we're sort of intending to both go deep in, in eye care, but also go broad in some of the other markets using the same platform and same model. So how did you come up with the, uh, with the idea for, or what, who came up with the idea for, for what you're doing? Tell us a bit about, uh, about the system, how it worked. A little bit of a collaboration, but really the idea came from me running out of contact lenses and needing to go in to get them renewed. Uh, the doctor, the optometrist was like, oh, no, you have to come in and see me. I'm not going to give you a prescription for contacts. Um, you, you're going to have to see me before you get that. And I was like, that's weird. Like, I've been wearing the same strength for all the time. I just want the same ones. Like, I, I see fine, no problem. Um, and it was clear to me that, you know, this, this practice of requiring this in-person visit was a way of just getting me back into the office to sell me contacts and started investigating ways that we could deliver that care remotely and came up with this idea um, with a ophthalmologist from NYU, Dr. Nagori, who essentially designed this um, set of tasks. And the task works in a couple of ways, there's sort of three components. The first is a you know, health questionnaire, finding out whether or not the patient is um, healthy enough, is a good candidate for online prescription renewal. Obviously, some high-risk patients, patients who have specific medical conditions, comorbidities, things that put them at higher risk for eye health diseases that need to be checked on aren't suitable for this and need to be sort of funneled out of the system and into a doctor's office. Um, assuming the patient gets through all these you know, questions and comes out the other end as a good candidate, there's sort of two components of an eye health and eye assessment and uh, visual acuity test. The first is a um, sort of visual acuity test where the phone is 10 feet away. You use a variety of technologies, including computer vision, machine learning to get a patient to exactly 10 feet. We show them a bunch of letters on the screen, and then we have them read the letters out loud um, while we videotape or audio record that interaction. Um, the second piece is a sort of a, a cursory eye health um, check where the patient holds the phone six inches from the face with a high-definition camera and looks up, left, and right, and uses uh, some other eye movements sometimes. And um, that's high-definition video. So all this information, this visual acuity task, this eye health, you know, check, and this questionnaire, all this information gets sent to a doctor. We have, I think we have uh, 40 doctors at this point across the country. We're operating in 42 uh, states. And those doctors pick this up um, when, where they want to. So they can, they, they have an app for doctors. Doctor can see this patient, watch the patient videos, watch the patient interaction, view their health history. Um, and can prescribe them contact lenses if they so choose, or can either ask them questions, interact directly with the patient, um, or require the patient to go in to see a doctor in person. Um, once that encounter is over, once the prescription is written, or the doctor recommends an in-person visit, um, we either offer the patient contact lenses through our system, 
um, or help them find the uh, in-person doctor for you know any sort of uh, risk factors for their health condition. So how, how does that interaction between the physician and the patient happens? It sounds like the videos are available to the physicians to, to view when they're able to, perhaps at the end of the day, they're home, they're sitting on their, in their sofa and they can run through some of these. Are they then, after maybe having a question regarding a, uh, an examination, how are they able to com- communicate back to the patient and ask that question? Yeah, the interesting thing is most of the doctors we work with, they're all ophthalmologists and they all have day jobs. A lot of them are you know, obviously surgeons or in the OR or in the clinic. And this is an extra thing they do on the side. And so they pick these exams up when they can. Um, oftentimes that is in the morning before they go to work, when they're on a break, um, when they're waiting for their kid to come out of soccer practice or, you know, you name it, downtime, they're able to review exam. We've had People review them on the couch while they're watching TV. I've had people say, I've done a couple, I did a couple of exams waiting for groceries. Um, you know, it's, it's just like you'd imagine, uh, you know, sort of an Uber driver or something else like that, where they kind of fit into their schedule. They can do it when they want. Um, so that's sort of like the interesting part about it. And how do they connect with the patient? Do they, do they have a back and forth? Or is it an email sort of exchange? What's the communication like? Yeah, they, they're able to ask questions to the patient directly. And it's, patient gets uh, text messages or email. Um, very rarely in certain circumstances, the doctor can call the patient. Gotcha. Uh, but most of the time it's, uh, hey, you know, I saw this, you know, interesting, weird thing in your eye um, when I was looking at your videos. Do you know about that? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, yeah, you know, that is uh, XYZ. I've had doctors tell me I had that for years. Um, but they say it's low risk. And if the doctor's like, yeah, it's a low risk issue, it's not a real issue, they know about it, then, you know, pass them on, give them a one. But sometimes it's like, hey, if you don't know about this, this thing needs to be checked out by a doctor. And so the doctor will be like, denied for contact lenses, uh, please help them see a doctor in person. Gotcha. We help them schedule some time with an with a ophthalmologist in person. Well, that's great because with a lot of other telemedicine uh, apps, yeah. You need to really sync up your schedule with the doctor, and you have to talk to them with the doctor. Obviously, you're diagnosing a disease there. You need a lot more information than if you're just renewing contact lenses. But this is really super convenient for both sides. So yeah, think about also just like the dynamic. Uh, you know, this is a classic question between asynchronous telemedicine, like we do. Mm-hmm. The doctor and the patient are not synced at time, and you don't need to like schedule doctor's time, um, which leads to all of those issues, right? Um, and versus uh, synchronous communication where, you know, the traditional teledoc or doctor on the man where like you call a doctor and you ask them some questions, but like, you know, what we're talking about here is very structured approach to diagnosing disease, right? Like um, our ophthalmologists designed this test and designed this questionnaire, designed these videos to get all the information that is like at the best possible standard of care, right? There's nothing missed. Mm-hmm. It's just, completely standardized, you all the information. And if a patient is outside of the standard of care, like it's when it's page doctor is reading it, reading their, you know, chart, it's big red button, like this is not, this patient is not suitable. Um, or this patient, like this is a flashing red light, like check on this, check on this. Um, and the downside, the down sort of stream benefits of using this model versus this video encounter is like, because we have the structured data, we have all of this interesting healthcare data that can be used to diagnose disease. When I call doctors on the man or I call a teledoc or I call a doctor on the phone, like I don't get any data. There's no data to get. Like I can't go back and look at all of these encounters and, and have any meaningful insights. 
But with us, we have millions of videos. You know, we can go back and say, oh, let me see all the patients who had um, XYZ, XYZ health condition and all their videos. Let me see the demographics. Is it like, are these people suffering from this condition more often than these other people? Like you get, you get to dig into this data and, and eventually, like I really hope, and I don't think we're there yet, although I will say that we're, we're spending some time and resources, you know, doing research on this, that we can start to do some really interesting healthcare, like eye health disease diagnosis, or at least risk factor identification. You know, take a video of someone's eye, even from things from like an iPhone, you know, from a family video and being able to like scan it with our technology, looking back at all the videos we've already compiled with patients that, you know, that have um, issues with this condition or risk factors with this condition and say, hey, like, here's, here's a patient that like, otherwise you wouldn't know anything about. But like, based on this video, like our system thinks that this person looks a lot like these other patients that are really high risk factors for XYZ disease. Um, I don't know what will come out of that research just yet, but there is you know, a strong possibility that like from just from a surface level video of patient's eye, we can really start to understand some, some things about their healthcare and, and start to you know, identify patients that need more uh, in-depth uh, exams. Hmm. I got a lot of questions. Really, this is really cool. Hey, we're going to take a quick break from this conversation to uh, let another name slip. Another speaker that will be uh, at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is Andy Slavitt, the uh, former head of a CMS, of course, now the founder and general partner of Town Hall Ventures and a staunch, staunch defender of the Affordable Care Act. And uh, he's been uh, very active on Twitter and uh, in Capitol, on Capitol Hill defending uh, the Affordable Care Act. So we, uh, I really look forward to hearing his perspective on where we are today in healthcare. So he'll be at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which once again is happening on October 11th in Boston. Go to dhis.net to register. Now let's get back into this conversation. So, number one question, and maybe I'm missing something. When I've when I've, I've I wear glasses, I've worn contacts. I have family members who wear contacts, so this would be a really welcome way to get uh, renewals. But uh, we've always gone to an optometrist for those. Uh, do you work only with ophthalmologists, or do you work with optometrists as well? And, and I'm in Massachusetts. Maybe that has something to do with it. We only work with ophthalmologists right now. Um, you know, you probably, like and any of your listeners, probably understand there's a dynamic between this optometry practice, the AOA, and the ophthalmologist and the um, AO, and sort of the interests of these two groups are, are and, and also their, their thought process around what is standard of care are very different. Um, some of the optometry, uh, optometry boards have actually banned their doctors from participating in this technology. They don't want to use telemedicine at all. Um, partially because they want to maintain the status quo around um, around a, sort of like this in-person retail exam, whereas the ophthalmology like, world as I guess a whole in bulk like like just I fundamentally haven't met anybody that haven't met like dissenters like real dissenters here have embraced telemedicine said like wow being able to do this cutting the state of the way this simple contact is doing collecting like getting patients. Like out of our office that don't need to be there, being able to do this sort of do this in a safe way at scale directly to patients is super interesting and super great for our profession and for patients, and we want to support it. And so you look around the table for simple contacts, and we're a well-known entity within ophthalmology 
you know, some of the some of the really big names and sort of leaders in the field, like the the two past presidents of AFCRF, um, uh, Dr. Dodick, the former head of ophthalmology for NYU, Dr. Kim, who runs ophthalmology at uh, um, at Duke for for cornea. Uh, these people are 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 both getting involved with what we're doing on the research side from a, from a medical um, advisory capacity, and also saying coming to us directly and saying, I want to invest in this company. I want to help you guys grow and putting their own financial capital to work uh, because they believe in it. And these are, weren't people we went out there and sort of pitched on it. And, and interestingly enough, um, over the last, I'll call it six months, nine months, we've had a lot of sort of leading optometrists who don't really agree with their um, you know, lobbying groups uh, opinions about this or trade groups sort of uh, stance have come to us separately and they're like, hey, listen, I know I know that, you know, as a, you know, official stance, our, our trade group won't support you guys, but I really do think you guys are the future. I want to support it. So I'm going to either put money to work. I want to help you guys with some research um, and, and getting involved. So that's sort of uh, where we are with that dynamic and how we fit in. Oh, that that's interesting, and, and and without taking sides in this, I mean we're we're certainly seeing a blurring of the lines between what ophthalmologists are doing and what optometrists optometrists are doing. We're seeing actually more uh, more diseases or more treatments that were done by ophthalmologists moving to optometrists, like treatment of of eye of uh, dry eye or some ocular surface disease. So it's it's kind of interesting to see this swing back in the other direction. But I I, I do think that eventually. I don't know if you can just take a stand against this sort of technology. I mean, it's coming and, and the patients want it. So, uh, you know, it, it's uh, just a matter of time. The, the point that I would make to your, to your listeners um, is that this is not a medical issue. Like people who don't support what we're doing aren't doing so from a medical, from medical issue um, or, or sort of pushback, um, clinical pushback. They're all coming at it from a trade perspective, from a competition standpoint. This is not like leading optometrists saying, what you're doing is unsafe and like here are 10 different ways you're screwing up patients' lives. This is the optometry trade group coming out and saying what you're doing is unsafe. And really, if you look at what they're, you know, were founded for, why they exist, is to protect the retail and business interests of these retail clinics. And fundamentally, that is sort of a conflict of interest. Um, Ophthalmologists who don't, you know, Honestly, like ophthalmology, you know, has more vested interest in keeping patients' um, eye health um, at the highest levels, and they they support us in mass. Um, that, that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, and, and I wanted to ask about that. And and you you're you're not an ophthalmology person. You're, this isn't your background, but this is your third. I think your third company. You're uh, you're someone who creates. Creates new, comp- creates new companies, you're an innovator. How are you finding working with the ophthalmologists? You sort of answered this before, but uh, as, as a population, as a profession, uh, it sounds as if they're, they're totally open to this kind of innovation and to, to bringing new technologies into, uh, into eye care. Well, maybe I'm jaded because I've had sort of the privilege to meet, meet with and talk with and uh, work and I work with closely some like really amazing ophthalmologists. But I, they're, unlike some of the other, the other sort of modalities, they're just so innovative. They, they, they're looking for the latest way of technology. Ophthalmology is really like cutting edge tech, right? Um, using like first to use lasers and, and uh, really thinking 
broadly about how to innovate in the space. Um, and these, unlike you know, some of the other modalities where you know, it only affects a certain number of people, um, ophthalmology affects everybody. Eye, eye health around the world is a major issue, especially in developing countries. And so a lot of these people are, you know, we're dealing with issues in, in sort of Western countries, things like cataracts and glaucoma. These things are also impacting people overseas in ways that like completely change, like completely change economies, right? Like there are places in the world where, you know, cataracts and, um, you know, premature blindness are impacting the GDP of these countries. Um, and these people are, they're not just sitting on their, on their hands and saying, okay, well, we'll just deal with the you know, first world problems. Like they're coming out there with really interesting solutions and high tech solutions to these problems. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the business side of things. How are, how are you paid? And, uh, and is it, is it all private pay? And, uh, and how do you see this company growing, going forward? Yeah. So we get paid by the patient. It's, uh, it's sort of like the, this entire business rests on this idea that we're going to create services that patients want to pay for and choose. Um, not services they're forced to choose by their insurance companies, not ones they have no choice to use, not like the only, you know, optometry clinic in town, but services that are good and create value and they choose to pay for out of their own pocket. Um, that being said, the, you know, uh, patients often have high co-pays for specialist visits like ophthalmology and optometry. And so we, we aim to make our service, uh, the exam itself, less than the cost of a copay. So it's, it's a $20 visit. Um, you get a prescription, a one-year prescription for contacts. Um, and then on the flip side, if a patient wants to buy contact lenses from us, we also sell contacts as a business. So to so have two components to the business, we, we sell this $20 uh, healthcare visit. Um, a lot of that money goes to managing the, the, uh, the doctor network, paying physicians, uh, paying for licenses and medical malpractice and all the other things go into running a, you know, a clinic. Um, and then um, patients who choose to buy consequences from us can do so. And, um, and then also as a line of business. So the physicians who participate, are they're paid per, uh, per examination that they do? Yeah, they're paid per examination they do, no matter whether or not they refer to in person or whether they write a prescription for contacts. Interesting. So, where do you see this uh, this going? I mean, you could, you, you, as you mentioned, there's there's a number of opportunities in eye care. Um, I talked about dry eye earlier. I mean, I could see opportunities in in clinical trials and things like that. If you're monitoring someone's eyes, this would be a great way to do it. How how do you grow this company? Where where might we see other applications in eye care and uh, and outside of eye care? I think there are sort of three components to this. First is that like our business is growing double digits month over month and has been for since we launched it in April 2016. Um, so it's growing on its own, and that's a function of the fact that it's education, educating consumers and patients about the existence of this thing. If you know that you can get your contacts prescribed to you online, why would you pay more for a less convenient experience in a retail clinic? Um, there are some patients that need that because of sort of medical uh, complications or high risk for certain diseases, or they prefer to be sort of super vigilant on all these health exams that we can't offer. But for the most part, patients that hear about us start to use us, and that just sort of grows our patient base. Um, that's a big piece of it. The second piece in eye care is all around um, looking at health conditions using our data and doing research. Um, and then the third piece is taking our model into other, other verticals. So it's literally the same model I just we talked about in ophthalmology and apply it to some other sort of modalities. 
tell me you're working on something for strep throat for kids. That would be awesome. <laughs> No, no strep throat for kids right now, <laughs> but I think you'll see in the coming months some, some interesting things. Um, you know, really though, for us, ophthalmology is like a great sort of microcosm of like what we're interested in. It's mostly maintenance medications. It's mostly chronic disease. That's where, where America, that's where the U.S. is spending most of its money and time. And like these patients who have maintenance medications have chronic disease. That's like majority strep throat acute care stuff like it's really yeah it's a problem it's inconvenient for some parents you know getting a cold inconvenient for a person but like for the most part you know solving that problem doesn't have a gigantic impact on a patient's life other than this one specific you know, moment in time but going to a patient who has contact lenses or one who you know has asthma or COPD or diabetes or all of those things and saying listen used to go to the doctor's office once a year or twice a year or three times a year. Now really go every two years and in between every month, every three months, you're going to be doing this online exam as maintenance. That's completely different experience. And for the most part actually delivers a better quality of care too, because there's more maintenance check-in points. Um, I, I think that's what we're talking about. Sounds good. Final question. I just want to ask about uh, your financing. You raised money recently. Uh, Tell us about that process and, and how did, uh, can you identify any of the ophthalmologists who have come in to invest and, and what are your capital needs going to be going forward? Great question. Um, yeah, so we, we closed a $16 million Series B a few months ago. Um, the entire, that entire round was focused around two things. Um, one, scaling our current business is growing extremely fast. And you can imagine that as the business grows, top line grows, number of users grows into the millions. Um, we are in a position where we need to sort of get ahead of that growth in terms of our compliance operations teams, our customer service, like all of those systems in place for, um, for one level of business need to be different as sort of growing and going into that. Um, the second piece is to start to explore this in other verticals. Um, I don't know. We're, you know, from a financial perspective, we're, we're really, really good place. We've been fortunate to raise, obviously, around $26 million plus some, you know, un, untalked about money. And we're in sort of like a spot where we can sort of choose our own, own direction now. Do you like having the ophthalmologists, the physicians as investors? Yeah, I do. Um, we, we did something really unique, actually, in the Series B. I don't know that many healthcare companies have done this. Um, obviously we have a number of like very well-known ophthalmologists who have put money into the company. Um, but we also in, during this round went out and said, okay, uh, KOLs we have in the ophthalmology space, like, you know, people who run these big, uh, big departments, Hey, um, we want to do the same thing for the verticals. Do you know, doctors of your similar caliber and X, Y, Z modalities. And we went out and we raised uh, millions of dollars from independent doctors and other verticals who are interested in seeing this thing come to their space. So now we have our sort of like, it's not the informal advisory board, it's like email list, this, this group of people that love what we're doing, have put their money into it and are advocating, hey guys, I'm seeing this in our space, like you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And we can sort of push them, pull them for ideas, for help, for um, writing letters for us or for helping us design technology. Awesome. That's a great idea. It's, I'm glad that uh, that worked out. We certainly know of a lot of ophthalmologists who are uh, doing direct investing. Uh, it's interesting that it's 
and certainly some in orthopedics and cardiology we've seen as well. But uh, it'd be interesting to see more doctors sort of get a little skin in the game and, and get some motivation to bring new tech into what they're doing. Well, Joel, it's a great story. Appreciate your taking a few minutes to uh, to share it with us. Thank you so much for your time, Tom. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast. Once again, please, the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is happening on October 11th. I mentioned two of our great speakers. I'm going to be uh, revealing many, many more in coming weeks, and we'll be sending out program updates as well. So uh, please do keep your eyes peeled in your inbox or go to dhis.net for updates. Regarding the Breaking Health podcast, as always, if you would uh, subscribe to the podcast, that would be a huge, huge help. And also tell your friends about the Breaking Health podcast. Uh, I hope you're enjoying these conversations. And if you think others will as well, please let them know. You can also reach out to me. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom, and you can email me directly, Tom at Healthogy.com. That is the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy is the company that produces this fantastic podcast and many wonderful events, including the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on October 11th. Please go to DHIS.net to register, and we will see you in Boston, my hometown. <laughs>